Because if you can love and accept the in you or the, you know, the person that made choices in the past and you can forgive that part of you. And the way that I teach it is you relate with it like the child. So would you be angry at a child, you know, for acting out or doing something if they didn't know better? Well, if you're a loving person, a loving parent, you wouldn't be, right? Hey there, I'm Ani Michalski, wellness coach, therapist, and mom to half a dozen amazing kiddos. This podcast is for moms who desperately need a break, but refuse to take one. You know who you are. You have a jam-packed schedule and you're so busy doing everything for everyone else, you don't leave any time for you. What's up with that? Well, no more. Take off your superwoman cape and learn how to put yourself on your to-do list. This is the Moms Without Capes podcast. Hey, did you know that there's a Facebook group filled with Moms Without Capes? Women who are learning that it's safe to take off the superwoman cape and take care of themselves? There sure is, and we'd love to have you in the group. Moms Without Capes is a free community for moms who feel overwhelmed, stressed out, and exhausted from trying to do it all. Come discover who you are under that cape and give yourself permission to show yourself some love. Search Moms Without Capes when you're in Facebook or follow the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. See you there. We have here today on the Moms Without Capes podcast, Jana Wilson. Welcome to the show, Jana. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. So Jana is an emotional healing educator, meditation teacher, retreat leader, hypnotherapist, heart math facilitator, and founder of the Emotional Healing System. For the past two decades, she has taught thousands internationally in groups and private retreats. Today, Jana will be sharing some tips for regulating our emotions to improve personal well-being and social relationships. But before we get into that, why don't you share with us more about your journey and how you got to be where you are today? Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks, Ani. I um, am, was raised in the South in the Bible Belt, um, raised very fundamentalist Christian, and um, which was, you know, I always say the the gift of my trauma and why I wrote this book and why I am, you know, the person I am today and the work I'm doing is really because of that, you know, upbringing, right? It was I had to heal from adverse childhood experiences. There's a test that we give to people and there's 10 questions. I scored 10 out of 10 in childhood. So the developmental and intergenerational trauma that I experienced was extreme. And as a young adult around the age of 20, I began to really view my, my childhood as a gift. There was something for me to learn that I went through what I went through, not to be a victim of it, that I went through it to grow and heal and, and possibly even break the cycle, not repeat what my parents had done to myself and my brother. And so that kind of set me on a trajectory. Um, I think I mentioned being raised in the Bible Belt because the early foundation of, and a lot of the, the churches that we went to were charismatic, gospel, people speaking in tongues, all of that. And so I really developed a strong relationship with spirit at a young age. And I had several mystical experiences as a child, um, one at 12 years old that I start the book, you know, with in the foreword 
you know, with just getting pulled out of my body, it was probably like astral travel or maybe even near death because I was in a situation of a lot of um, my dad beating my mother and a lot of chaos going on. And yeah, I, that experience, I think woke my soul up so much that by the time I made it to college, which I was the first in my family to even finish high school, believe it or not, much less go to college. And once I made it to college, those memories started to come back because I kept, you know, it's like the common denominator everywhere I went there I was. And I kept experiencing more trauma. I was date rape my first semester of school in Miami. I just kept, I was like an attraction magnet for chaos and trauma. And so um, I just, you know, I, I knew that there were people out there with the answers that could help me even beyond therapy. I was more interested in, you know, esoteric teachings. I think a lot of that came from my mother's stints in mental institutions. They would rewire her brain and she would come back in an altered state and pour into me. So yeah, the the um, the reason why I'm an emotional healing educator, that all the work I'm doing today was through the journey of heal or heal thyself, right? Yeah. You mentioned your book, but we didn't say the title of it. Why don't you share? Yeah. So it's called Wise Little One, Learning to Love and Listen to My Inner Child. It's a prescriptive memoir, which is a different genre. You don't see prescriptive memoirs. You usually just see like Eat, Pray, Love or The Glass Castle. These are strictly memoir. Even though in Eat, Pray, Love, she certainly, Elizabeth Gilbert, gave um, some, you know, pointers to meditation, to certain things. In my book, I actually, in 11 chapters, give a, a specific prescription for the reader if they resonate with some of the archetypes of trauma that I'm sharing, where they could turn to, to get support and help. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I never heard of that genre, the prescriptive self-help, but I know what you're talking. Like I, I get what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it's, I don't think it's out there. I think prescriptive nonfiction, what you just said is self-help. Yeah. But they don't put it, you know, it's, it's just like a the category. story part, like the memoir. Yeah. Right. But a memoir is never called a prescriptive memoir, mm -hmm. but because I published myself, I could choose whatever I wanted. And I was like, this is a prescriptive memoir. I'm putting it on the title. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. So let's dive a little bit more into the emotion regulation piece. And when you had first applied to be on the podcast, that kind of, that was one of the suggested topics. And I felt like it was a super important one because a lot of my clients struggle with being able to regulate their emotions. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of numbing that goes on, a lot of numbing behaviors, the escape, the avoidance, all of the things that, you know, keep us from actually feeling the feels. And so I felt like this would be a great topic to, that would be super helpful for a lot of women who may be engaging in those behaviors, um, may have never, you know, may have been dismissed when they did you know, growing up, feeling those feelings, um, always, you know, the eternal optimism, right? Like positive psychology, all of the things that have come down the line that is being kind of harmful to healing. So mm -hmm. let's start with what, what is emotion regulation for those of you who, those listeners who may be unfamiliar and why is it so important to have this skill? Yeah. So first let's talk about what are emotions because 
If we're sure. talking about emotional regulation, what are emotions? So the reason why the inner child is your emotional self. So from birth to seven, we call this developmental years, right? And in those years, you can see it. It's very obvious with children. They look through the lens of their lives through emotion. The brain's not fully developed till we're mid-20s. Certainly under the age of seven, we are emotional beings. Our intellect's not formed. We don't have the rational defenses and structures of an adult. So we look at everything. If mom is, you know, her and dad are fighting and they're upset with each other, they're stressed about money, and then they're short with us or they, that we personalize it. Everything's personal and we make it mean something about us. And so, you know, in that first seven years, many people will come to me and they'll say, you know, I, I'm unhappy in my life or, you know, things aren't going well. I get triggered easy. I'm very reactive. I'm drinking too much. I'm checking out. Like, I'm not really sure because I had a good childhood. I'll hear that often. First of all, let's establish no one's perfect. So parenting doesn't come with parenting 101, right? So I wish. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so emotional intelligence is not prized in our culture. IQ is not EQ. The foundation of emotional intelligence is self-awareness and self-awareness is what leads us to emotional regulation. So when we're talking about regulating our emotions, we're talking about being in the fire of something, pushing our buttons, triggering us and being able to ride the wave. Intense emotion research shows only last 90 seconds. If you don't react to it, as soon as you grab a hold of it, now it's got a hold of you and you're not regulating. So there's many ways that I teach emotional regulation. One, of course, the foundation of the emotional healing system is mindfulness practice, meditation, learning to source your day, being a human being. Why is it important? A lot of people say to me, oh, I can't meditate because, you know, my mind's too busy. Well, actually, the point of the practice is to be aware when you're lost in thought. And people say, well, I thought you're not supposed to think. Well, that's impossible. The brain's right. a thought-producing organ, right? Like, I wish. Just turn it off, an on-off switch, right? Um, so when you meditate enough, you begin to get this superpower, really. It's subtle. It takes a while. We always joke and say meditation isn't medication, right? It's not the quick fix. Not it's a quick fix. Kill. And so, but what happens is as when you're sitting and meditating and you're aware, I teach mantra-based meditation, which is helpful to Western mind because it gives them something to hang on to, Right. Something, so to something, something to do. Yes, like exactly. We feel like we need, you know, especially people that are ultra busy, that's what they're used to. <laughs> right. A-type personalities. And yeah. And so, so you're thinking the mantra, the mantra has no meaning. So a general mantra, like we all give is like, so hum, breathing in. So exhale hum. It is just means I am in Sanskrit, but to the Western mind, so hum means nothing. You know, it's just, it, it's really mantras are used for their sound and their vibrational quality. So they don't lead you to another thought. So you're sitting meditating, then all of a sudden a thought arises. Now thought can produce stress, thought alone, right? You could be thinking a thought and the body gets a signal, goes into stress response, fight, flight, freeze, fawn, right? And your body's getting a signal, there's a bear about to maul you and it's just a thought you're having. 
of some worst case scenario in the future or rehashing something from the past. If we don't learn to master the mind, we will be a slave to it. It will master us, right? So when you're sitting and meditating, this is the most important, I think, um, tool to use in emotional regulation, Ani, because as you're meditating, thoughts come in. You're thinking the mantra, then you become aware, we call it the witness, of, oh, I'm lost in thought. So as soon as you become aware you're lost in thought, you're no longer lost in thought because you come back to the present moment. And so that's a muscle you're building every day. And then you go about your day because you meditated that morning. It's like spiritual hygiene. Now somebody cuts you off in traffic. You get an email that's upsetting. The body still gets the cascade of feelings, but you're alert to it. You're an alert witness. As soon as you're aware of it, you come right back to the breath right back to the present moment. And that's, you mentioned heart math. So heart math is a wonderful tool. In 2008, I learned of heart math and they're in Northern California and they've done all this research on the power and electromagnetic field of the heart. And so this is another great emotional regulation tool because they're super simple. They're so simple that, you know, it's easy not to do, right? Because it's easy to do, it's easy not to do. But the what it is, is your they're called intelligent energy management techniques. Mm -hmm. So imagine your heart is a battery and we want to keep it charged. Every time we get reactive, whether it's through thought or an actual experience, we're draining the battery. Right. And so as soon as we become aware, because we meditated, we don't run with the thought and create the chaos and get into a story. We say, oh, no, you know, something's happening. We turn to the breath. So the first step in heart math, it's really like your heart math is almost like doing meditation throughout the day because your eyes are open. You could be having a conversation and you could be doing it. So the first step is heart focused breathing. So you're breathing as if the heart has a nose and the heart. Interesting science recently. I don't know if you've heard about this. It's fascinating is neurocardiology so that the heart has a brain that it's very like the like the gut (laughs) exactly well the heart the gut is connected as well right and so we we turn to the heart we breathe slow and deep about four or five seconds on the in and out breath and then we start to gain composure so now we've got composure even though the chaos is still spinning around us we're calm in the midst of us in the midst of the chaos. And then we have what's the, the superpower is, is coherency. Because as soon as you start, the breath is happening without us, right? Doing anything. We're going to be breathed by whatever the creator created us. It's breathing for us. It's digesting our food. It's doing everything. The only thing in the human body that we can control is the breath. So as soon as you take power back and you start consciously breathing slow and deep, the heart gets a signal to calm down. Everything starts, you get composed. Now in composure, you can think clear. Right, right. Right? You can't think when you're in that stress response and your mind's going crazy. You're incoherent. Breathing, yep. Yep, you're incoherent. And so those are two of the biggest tools that I teach to teach 
you know, to really help someone master their emotions, be the witness. Just because we're having a thought doesn't mean the thought's real. Right. 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 You don't have to believe everything you think. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, So believe everything you think. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That I one of my clients will do is like, it's just living rent free in my mind. And I love that metaphor (laughs) because I'm like, yeah, so many of our thoughts we let live free, like rent free in our mind. And then we just kind of go into reactionary mode instead of questioning, is this thought even valid? What what's going on here? Getting curious about our own thoughts. (laughs) Exactly. So can you share with us more about your, um, your system or the emotion, what did you, I forget what you called it. Emotional healing system. Yes. The emotional Mm -hmm. healing system. Like you had talked about the self-awareness, you know, becoming more coherent. What can you walk us through? Sure. I'd love to. Thank you. Yeah. So I knew, like I said, on my healing journey, I was like, I knew that there were teachers out there. There were philosophers, wisdom teachers, spiritual teachers of all type that had the answers. So I spent my twenties and thirties devouring it all. And what I began to see is a theme. They were all saying similar things, right? And the, of course, the main one was meditation. So foundation, the system is aligned with the emotional intelligence skills, which is self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. So let's start with the first, self-awareness. So my system is teaching meditation is foundational. You can't learn all the other tools that we're going to teach you if you don't have witnessing awareness. Let's face it, consciousness is the only reality. You know, if if scientists, and what I mean by that is if scientists, you know, looked into our brain and said, oh, what they have for breakfast, or let's look at their childhood memories, they're not going to find it. Because it's not in the brain, it's in our consciousness. We're aware of what you know, those things, right? So awareness um, is energy. You know, Einstein said it best, you know, this isn't philosophy. Energy is everything. This is physics. And so we are energy beings, right? And so once we begin to tune in and, and care for our own energy. So in this system, it's really about teaching people the root of suffering. A lot of my teaching goes back with my teacher, Deepak Chopra, to Vedanta and Advaita, which is non-dualism, teaching people, you know, really the 6,000 year old yogic philosophy and teachings from the Gita and the Upanishads. And, you know, that's the basis of it. It's not religious. It's, you know, it's really philosophy. It's like they say Buddhism was the, you know, first spiritual psychologist, right? So, um, and then we move them into understanding the psyche. So I got my master's in integrative coaching with the Ford Institute in shadow work. And what we, you know, if you teach somebody who's, you know, a fairly functioning person, how the psyche's formed, you know, that you're one person, but you have all these different selves and it's called parts therapy or psychosynthesis. So it's spiritual psychology rooted in, you know, foundation of connecting to spirit. That's who I truly am, a spiritual being having a human experience. Now I'm going to learn about my humanity and my humanity is diverse. I have light and dark. I'll often ask clients, how do you know it's daylight right now? And they'll say, oh, because the sun's out. And I say, yeah, but that's not how you know. You know, because you've experienced the contrast, 
which is dark. Because if it were never dark, we probably wouldn't have a a name for the daylight. We wouldn't even talk about it. It would be like a fish in water, right? Like it doesn't know it's water until it's water. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great point. (laughs) Yeah. So we, we, everything in this world of duality, the ultimate truth is non-duality, but everything has contrast opposite. So we, sometimes we're rich, sometimes we're nice, sometimes we're loving, sometimes we're mean. We have, and people war with that. They think, Carl Jung, the Swiss psychologist who coined shadow work said, I would rather be whole than just good. Good is half the equation. I don't want to be a half a person. And he also said, the gold is in the dark. Because if you can love and accept the in you or the, you know, the person that made choices in the past and you can forgive that part of you. And the way that I teach it is you relate with it like the child. So would you be angry at a child, you know, for acting out or doing something if they didn't know better? Well, if you're a loving person, a loving parent, you wouldn't be right. Um, so that's shadow work. We start teaching them that we do. It's pretty confrontational for, for people, not so much in the dark. Cause I think p- most people are used to thinking bad things and bottom feeding and, you know, woe is me and all of that. It's the light it's owning. I am magnificent. I am brilliant. I am deserving. I am lovable. That's hard for most people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a self-compassionate piece. Yeah. We kind of have that negativity bias where we automatically go to the, I am not enough. Right. Because we got that early on when we were children, Mm -hmm. you know, my feelings don't matter. I'm not good enough. We, you know, all those things, experiences happen in hypnotherapy. The part of the emotional healing system is using hypnotherapy to bypass the conscious mind and get to the subconscious so that you can access those memories. Cause sometimes as an adult, will minimize, you know, I had a client who she was at a lake and at five years old and they were wanting her to go swimming and she didn't want to, and they didn't listen to her and they made her get in the water because her parents knew she would be fine, of course. But the Mm -hmm. fact they didn't listen to her, she internalized that at five years old, my feelings don't matter. Yeah. And then that lived throughout her whole life. Her biggest reoccurring complaint was no one listens to me. Why? Because she didn't listen to herself because she made a decision at five years old that other people knew better. Yeah. So curious, uh, like, so when you do that hypnotherapy and you do this, the shadow work, is that where that comes out? Like the, that, that specific say memory where her getting in the pool, like not wanting to get in the pool. And is, does that come out then? No, that would be that, called a false belief. Um, it could be a shadow belief. But how do you get to that experience? Like that yeah, experience. Hypnotherapy. Like, okay. Yeah. So it's like you take somebody today, um, you know, in the process, you know, really all hip- hypnosis is, is getting into a relaxed state. They're there. Then once I start asking questions like bring up a memory, you know, of or uh, see a vision of your life, how you want it to be an ideal vision of your future. And then notice there's a critical voice inside that tells you that's never going to happen. And then, and then they start, and I say, what feelings come up when you listen to that voice of the critic? 
oh, I get angry, I get anxious, I get, you know, I, you know, apathetic, whatever. Okay, let's follow those feelings on a timeline. So we'll take them all the way back to the first time they remember feeling that feeling Mm -hmm. and then what was happening. So it's under the age of seven. You know, some most people can get there. I know a lot of information about them while I'm working with them. So I'm also supporting them, but they usually can get there and then they'll see it. Oh yeah. The first time I felt angry or the first time I felt anxious, this is what was happening. And so we start getting in and fleshing out the memory and then I'll ask them, okay, identify something happened to you and Mm -hmm. you made it mean something you, you associated a meaning to it. What was the meaning? And it's usually right there. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. You know, it's always there. Right. right. And Jonathan, then that's where so reparenting comes in. Go ahead. That's Ani. what I was going to ask you. I said, this is so interesting because I like, I feel like I've blocked out and I'm one of those people that like, I'm like, I had a fine childhood, you know, and, but there's so many memories and I'm like, I am all into the space of like self, you know, awareness and like learning as a, but there's just this whole like, uh, now I'm here visiting my mom and like, she'll talk about something. I'm like, I don't even remember that. We're watching, like, I've got all my home movies put on, um, like on a zip drive. And so we've been going through that and stuff. And she's like, Oh, I forgot this. And there's so many that I forgot. Mm. And I'm like, I don't know. Why did I block all these out? And so this whole, that is very intriguing. That whole hypnotherapy. I'm like, I feel like there's like, it would unblock so many memories for me. It's fascinating. I mean, the lady I told you about, she was one of these clients that was like, my parents are still married. They, we went on vacations. We had a great childhood. Like, I don't know if anything's there. And I was like, yeah, just trust the process. You know, well, I'm sure something's there, you know? And she was like, I didn't even remember that memory. Yeah. That's what I feel like it would happen to me. Like, but then it's also scary too because I'm like well it's like Pandora's box like letting these like old memories like I always think like the movie Inside Out like you know letting these memories come out and it's like you know now what what how can we repackage that in a way that's going to serve and so let's talk about that reparenting so in so my training was different my training with Debbie Ford was different in how we related with these parts of ourselves was called subpersonality work. And it never resonated for me. It was the work of Ken Wilbur. It was really intellectual and it just, I needed to dumb it down. And I think that's why I've been successful at helping people. Cause I really, you know, meet them at a level that they can really get it. Right. So I started to see in my own process If I could relate with those experiences still as a child, as a loving adult today to and go reparent that child. So in the middle of the hypnotherapy, I incorporated reparenting. And what reparenting is, is connecting. This is part of the system, too. It's connecting with yourself as the emissary of God. Uh, ambassador. So this work is definitely spiritual psychology. I couldn't work with somebody who had no belief system, right? So it's opening up saying, you know, my only purpose is to give love first to myself, receive it from the creator, give it to myself and then give it to others, right? Yeah. Essentially what Jesus taught, love your neighbor as yourself, you know, but we aren't taught how to love ourselves. So this is connect with yourself, give yourself the love 
a loving parent loves the child that acts out and the child that makes all the good choices. They don't distinguish, right? We don't play favoritism. So we call one of the children the wounded child and yeah. one is the core child. Now the core child just wants to give its gifts, believes anything's possible, just wants to you know, manifest its dharma. The wounded child got conditioned, believes it's not good enough, is egoic, you know, me, 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 my, 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 like doesn't play well, you know, that's the mm-hmm. wounded part of us. So that's the part we're usually dealing with yeah. when we're doing this yeah. work. And so in reparenting, you're just, you know, pulling up that little, you know, child and saying, what am I thinking? What relationship am I keep staying in? What am I doing that has you keep feeling in this case, I'll use the example of the woman in the lake has you feeling that your feelings don't matter. Then the child speaks and it's like, well, you never listen to me. You put everybody else first. Mm -hmm. You promise you're going to do something and you never do it. I don't trust you. And this is the most important relationship, the one with ourself. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is so interesting. Yeah. So any final advice or like somebody who is struggling with this, even to like back to the emotion regulation, like back to feeling the feels or like have never meditated or has never really gone, gone there. What kind of advice would you, or where would be a good starting point? Well, there's four ways we abandon ourselves or orphan the inner child, our feelings. One is stay in our head, right? So we got to learn how to get out of our head and start feeling. Feelings are felt sense in the body. You know, people who live in their head, if you ask them how they'll feel, they'll say, I think immediately you're in your head, right? (laughs) So get out of your head, you know, start embodiment practices, hiking, walking, yoga, do something, you know, somatic practices, find a somatic practitioner, someone who can help you. If you've never tried yoga, you know, encourage that Pilates, some kind of movement. So you can start unearthing emotions that are stored in the body. The second way people abandon themselves is through addiction. You mentioned that before. And listen, even even meditation could be addiction. If you're spiritual bypassing, if you're using it to not feel, it's an addiction. And of course, all the other ones, process, substance, addictions. Uh, Then the third way is um, by blaming others. Right. Making other people, oh, I'm a victim. It's their fault. If they would just change, I would be better. Sorry. You're only responsible for yourself. You're not responsible for others. You're helpless over them. If you don't think you are, then you become very controlling and manipulative. And then the last way we abandon ourselves is we push ourselves harshly and judge ourselves. So perfectionist and push harshly, you know, it'd be like having a sweet little Jana here, a little girl, a little Ani, and telling her, you can do better than that and just always being mean. So we have to make the shift from these abandonment ways of abandoning ourselves to how can we love ourselves emotionally? Every day you brush your teeth, look in the mirror. I'm proud of you. I love you. I, I'm here for you. You're a good person, you know, whatever it is, words right. of affirmation, um, and, you know, just connecting spiritually, as I said, learn to meditate. There's great apps. I'm not a big proponent as a meditation teacher to uh, guided meditation. You don't need guidance. You just need stillness and silence. Right. So anyone listening who's never meditated, start with 10 minutes and just do so hum, you know, breathing mm-hmm. it silently. 
And then you'll see how fast it goes. And then add another five minutes and work up to about 30 minutes every morning of just stillness and silence. Yeah. Yeah. It's great advice. Hey, Supermom, overwhelmed and drained in your quest to be the ultimate mom. Daily demands bury you in motherhood, creating a disconnect with your partner. Resentment, anger, guilt, these emotions fester, making it tempting to just drop everything, go on a long extended vacation, and tell no one. I've been there, sacrificing my identity to be the best mom, feeling unappreciated, exhausted, and on the verge of breakdown. As you may be experiencing for yourself, it was impacting my marriage in a big way. Something had to change. And guess what? I held the key. Connecting with myself was what transformed my marriage. I started taking back what rightfully belonged to me, my identity in and out of my role as a mom and my life. And then I learned how to take charge of it. No one will tap you on the shoulder and say, it's time for yourself. If you don't value yourself, no one else will. Loving relationships thrive when partners honor their individual selves. The Beyond Supermom program helps you reclaim lost parts, transforming your marriage by transforming your relationship with yourself. Are you ready to reclaim yourself and totally change how you show up in your marriage? Schedule a call with me today to discover how Beyond Supermom can help you. Go to momswithoutcapes.com backslash beyond or click the link in today's show notes. So let's switch gears for a minute. And what do you do for fun, Jenna? In between all this emotional healing and and healing, (laughs) helping other people heal. I'm all about having fun. That's for sure. I'm getting ready to go to Mexico and be with one of my teachers and do a yoga retreat with him. And um, yeah, you know, I love to hike. I live in the mountains. I I hike a lot with my dogs. And to me, when I was a child nature, I was on a school field trip in central Florida. And I remember having just being cloaked with this energy of nature and telling me, you know, just like it wasn't stressing is what nature said. Like, just be like nature. (laughs) So when I'm out in nature, I'm a happy girl. Yeah. Nice, nice. Do you have a book that you can recommend aside from your own? Do a little plug for your book. Yeah. <laughs> so go ahead. Yeah, my the book that changed my life. I was um, a young mother. I just had my daughter. It was 1989, and I saw Dr. Brian Weiss on Oprah, and it, many lives, many masters. And of course, being raised in the South, Christian reincarnation is definitely not accepted. And so when I read the book, you know, I had kind of an internal war, but what trumped that war and shifted me was the sense of freedom this book gave me. I was able to look at having a gun put to my head at eight years old, you know, seeing my mom by my dad ran over with a car, all the trauma I went through instead of being a victim of that, this book helped me go, what if we don't know what happens after we die? But what if my soul chose those parents and chose those experiences? Then that must mean I'm a pretty badass soul and I'm here to do something. So that book. I like that shift of perspective. Yeah, (laughs) that's what, that's what that, and I ended up training with him in in hypnotherapy and past life regression. Oh, cool. 
cool. Yeah. It's always cool to like be able to meet your mentor and to oh, leave yes. such an yes. influence on your life. Yes. Jenna, where can listeners find you? I have a couple of websites. My business, we have a healing center. My husband's a physician and he works with me. We have a healing center here in Santa Fe. It's called emotionalhealingretreats.com. And then the book website is janawilson.com, but you can find the book at Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Okay, awesome. So all of Jana's information will be found in the show notes of today's episode. Thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing with us your wisdom. It was wonderful. For the first 10 years of being a mom, I told myself that I did not have the time to go out with friends or to learn a new hobby. I told myself that my focus now had to be on my children and they were my responsibility and my responsibility alone. I would feel guilty if I did anything fun without my children and husband, and I'd feel resentful since my husband seemed to just come and go without any of the kids even noticing. I, on the other hand, would get bombarded by my kids if I said I was going for a walk alone, so I stopped trying. I stopped making dates with friends, and I stopped knowing who I was. I didn't know how to ask for help, and I felt weak, and like I wasn't a good mom because I wanted it. I needed help, but I didn't know how to ask. I became a control freak, really, trying to control everything and everyone, because if things weren't in order, it reflected on me and my worthiness. I filled my plate. Boy, was I busy. I volunteered. I led groups. I got involved in everything. Looking back, I can see clearly that I was trying to prove my my worth. But really, it was exhausting, and it led me to feeling like a failure because I just couldn't keep up. I fed myself all kinds of lies. I don't have time. I don't need that walk. I can do this alone. I thought that the world was going to fall apart if I did something I enjoyed. And I told myself this for so long, I actually stopped knowing what it was that I even enjoyed. Sad, I know. But can you relate? I felt trapped by my own excuses, but it wasn't until I started recognizing them for what they were that I was able to finally break free from them. I created a guide to help other moms break free from the lies and to start taking care of themselves. It took me 10 years. It definitely doesn't have to take you that long. I'll put the link to this guide in the show notes so that you can grab your copy and be on your way to breaking free from the guilt and start rediscovering who you are under that mom hat. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Moms Without Caves podcast. I'm always up to hearing your ideas for future episodes, so send me a DM and let me know. And if you enjoyed today's episode, it would be awesome if you'd leave me a positive review wherever you're listening to podcasts these days. Until next time, take care of you. You are worth it.